Good morning, everyone. It is good to be with you this morning. Uh, we at Hope Jersey City are all about connecting people to the tangible love of Jesus. And the way that we're thinking about that in our first major sermon series of this year is uh, we're thinking about what we're calling everyday liturgy. The whole idea of this series is that we want to talk about what does it mean to really follow Jesus every day, right? What does it mean for us to be the kinds of Christians where our faith impacts what we do all day, every day, to take Christianity from more than just Sunday mornings, more than just your hope groups, more than just your devotionals, to every moment of every day of your life. And so Craig started this off last week talking about our passions and how what we love most deeply, our deepest passion, will infect and change everything about our everyday lives. And this morning, I'm going to think and talk with us about our purpose. What is our goal and what should it be and how do we live it out? Right? The question of purpose is a pretty obvious question, and it's one that humans have struggled with forever. It's one of the great existential questions of humanity. What is the purpose of being on this earth? And it's a question that I think probably every one of us as individuals have wrestled with to one degree or another. What is my purpose, and how should I conduct my life? And um, what I want to suggest this morning is that all of us as Christians have a united purpose, a purpose to worship God in every moment of our lives. That our purpose is worship, and I'm, I'm using the word worship in a, in a broad sense. Worship is more than just singing, but worship is anything we do that brings glory to God. Right? And that's our purpose in every area of our lives. Our text for this morning comes from the book of 1 Corinthians. If you have Bibles or phones or whatever, uh, you can open up with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to start with verse 23. Uh, the author Paul writes, All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Do not seek your own advantage, but that of the other. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's, for the earth and its fullness are the Lord's. If an unbeliever invites you to go to a meal and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the grounds of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in a sacrifice, then do not eat it out of consideration for the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I mean, the other's conscience, not your own. For why should my liberty be subject to the judgment of someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why should I be denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many so that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 
right? That's really clear. You, you get that? Yeah, we all know what's going on. <laughs> I think this passage is weird and kind of hard to understand on its first read. So let me explain a little bit about what's happening here. The book of 1 Corinthians is written by Paul to a church in the city of Corinth, right? That's where the name comes from, Corinthians. And um, among the churches that existed in the first couple of decades of Christianity, the church in Corinth is known as being one of the, uh, the most troublesome of the churches. They were just really struggling on almost every level. They were a church that had a ton of divisions. The first like six chapters of this book, Paul is writing them to talk about divisions and how they should be unified. And then they had lots of other problems, um, lots of problems with various kinds of sexual immorality, problems with Christians suing each other, just lots of issues. And part of this is because of the nature of the city of Corinth itself. Corinth was a major city in the area. It was actually a city that was located between two waterways, so it was a major industrial kind of hub. It was a place with a really transient community, lots of people coming in and coming out. And because of that transient community, it was known, even among the Roman Empire, it was known as being a relatively immoral population. Um, Lots of parallels could be drawn, if you so desire. Um, But one of the issues that they're dealing with, that Paul talks about here in chapter 10, and he also talks about it in chapter 8, is the issue of food. Now, here's what's going on. It was really common in the ancient world to make sacrifices, right? And this is true both of Jewish sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem and of sort of Roman sacrifices in temples to Roman gods or in temples to the emperor. People would go, they'd make a sacrifice to a god. And I think when we often imagine these sacrifices, we think of them making the sacrifice and then just kind of leaving. But actually, most of the time that sacrifice was made and then someone ate it. It was more common for someone to eat the sacrifice than than for it not to be eaten. Now, depending on what kind of sacrifice, sometimes the priests would eat the sacrifice. Sometimes the people who offered the sacrifice would then take it and have like a feast with all their family. Um, And sometimes the sacrifice would then go to a market somewhere near the temple and be sold. Now, this created a real ethical dilemma for the church in Corinth. These Christians all of a sudden have to decide, are we going to eat meat that has been sacrificed in temples to foreign false gods? Now, there are pretty good arguments on both sides here, right? There are people who say we shouldn't eat it, and their argument was basically, hey, these are false gods, right? The gods that we don't believe in, gods that we are trying to convert people from the worship of, they are possibly even demonic. And for us to eat this meat would be participating in the worship and in the rituals of a, of a false God, possibly even opening, uh, uh, opening us up to the work of demons or the devil. This is not something we can participate in as Christians, right? On the other hand, there were Christians who would say, you know, these, these gods are, aren't real, right? These are fake gods. They don't exist Who cares if some meat has been cut up in front of, you know, some chunk of stone or some chunk of wood? Like, these are fake. Doesn't make a difference. We can eat them. So this caused a pretty big split in the church in Corinth, one of many splits, where people didn't know what to do with this issue. So they wrote to Paul 
asked him a bunch of questions, and one of the questions they asked him is about this issue of food. Now, before we, we get into what Paul actually said, I just want to note how incredible it is that Paul spends two whole chapters in this book talking about food. He spends almost an eighth of one of his longest letters talking about something as ordinary as food. And I think that's really incredible because when we think about the Bible, I think most of the time we think about these incredible, amazing stories, right? We think about when Moses parts the Red Sea and all of Israel walks through and is saved from Pharaoh. We, we think about David, this little kid with one tiny stone chucking, and, chucking it and killing Goliath. Or we think about Jesus calling Peter out of the boat to walk on water to him. We think about the Bible as all these incredible high moments, and for sure, there are a lot of them. But here, Paul is devoting significant time to something as fundamental as the stuff you have to put in your face to stay alive. And I think this says a lot for us. Because the way that we think about Christianity or the way we sort of romanticize Christianity or the way we want our Christianity to be is I think we often want it to be amazing experience after amazing experience, right? We want to move from mountaintop to mountaintop. We want to, to have these incredible experiences where we hear God or where we see miracles, and we want those things to happen all of the time, and we forget that if we're honest, the vast majority of our life consists of the ordinary and the mundane. Right? The vast majority of our life isn't seeing miracles of 5,000 being fed with two uh, fish and five loaves. The, the majority of our life is shoving a breakfast bar in our face as we run out the door to make the train. God cares about the simple and the ordinary and the mundane parts of your life. And if we even, even if we think about the great people in the Bible who saw the amazing acts of God, people like Moses, I think if you looked at all of Moses' life, he lived for about 120 years, and if you were to divide all of his amazing experiences by how long he lived, he had a, like amazing God experience maybe once every 20 years if you're generous. Like the majority of his life was ordinary activities, was waking up, was taking care of the flocks, was walking around in the desert. God has called us to the ordinary. And our purpose in life is to worship God even in the most ordinary moments. And we have to learn to get rid of this division that we have in our lives between the things that are worshipful, like our Sunday mornings or the times we read the Bible and pray. And we need to realize that our entire life should be worshipful, right? When you are walking to the train station or standing crowded on the path, when you're avoiding lunch with your annoying co-worker, when you are changing your child's diaper, these ordinary moments are ones that God calls you to fill with worship. Brother Lawrence said, 
we ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. We have this desire for what's new and what's novel, and I think we need to learn to love, to worship in the ordinary and the mundane. So Paul gives us some tips, I think, in this passage on how to do this in the way that he addresses this issue of food. His solution to the issue of food, he basically says to the people, he gives them a couple of pieces of advice. He says, when you're in the meat market, eat whatever's there. You don't have to ask questions about it because all of it belongs to God, and because it belongs to God, you can have it. He says, if an unbeliever invites you to their house, don't ask questions. Just sit down and eat it. Again, these, aren't, these are false gods. You can participate. But then he says, if someone tells you, hey, this is, hey, watch out. You need to be careful. This has been sacrificed to a false god. Then you shouldn't eat it, Paul says, not really for your own sake, but for the sake of the person who warned you, right? For their sake, in order to not cause them to stumble or struggle. Now, obviously, Paul's advice here of basically do what the people around you are doing doesn't apply to everything, right? <laughs> um, if they're murdering, then you go ahead, right? That's not what Paul is saying. But Paul is saying, I think he's giving us a couple of helpful ways to think about how do we worship in these ordinary, mundane moments. And I'm going to try to boil it down to three basic points. And the first, how do we worship in the ordinary, is gratitude to God. Paul, in this passage, has an immense, uh, he puts immense importance on this idea of gratitude. He says in verse 30, if I partake with thankfulness, why should I be denounced because of that for which I give thanks? He says, everything in this earth belongs to God. And so when you enjoy it, giving thanks to God, you are in God's will. You are participating in God's purpose. And thankfulness and gratitude, these are really hard disciplines to develop because we naturally tend to focus on what we don't have more than what we do have. And so learning to be people who in every situation, especially those really boring situations and those things that we got to get through every day, there is almost always something in those moments for which we can give thanks. And I'm convinced that if we became a people who developed habits of gratitude in the mundane, it would be very transformative. So one is gratitude to God. Next is being good to others. He says in verse 24, do not seek your own advantage, but that of the other. This is his basic uh, advice with this issue of, of meat that's been sacrificed to other gods. He says, you don't need to worry about yourself. You need to worry about how your actions are affecting the people around you. And you need to seek to live in a way that will build them up, that will encourage them, that will lift them in their lives and in their struggles. And I want to say that in our ordinary mundane moments, anything we do that is good to others is an act of worship, right? When you are changing your baby's diaper, that is an act of good 
worship as you are being good to your child, right? When you give up a seat on public transport for someone who needs to sit down more than you, I think that can be an act of worship as you are good to others. And then the last thing is glory for God. In verse 31, he says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. I really love this verse. And a part of me wants to make us all like repeat it five times in a row so we all memorize it, but I'm not going to make you do that. You should just memorize it on your own. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. I think this is maybe one of the best articulations of just what it means to be a Christian. In anything you do, even the ordinary things of eating and drinking, you do them for the glory of God. And so anything you do that brings glory to God is worship. Now, what I want us to do this morning is to think about what would it actually mean for us to participate in our great purpose, which is worship, in the ordinary and mundane moments of our lives. So to that end, there is a little handout on your sheet. On, on, there's a little sheet of a handout on your seat. <laughs> um, that uh, it should be there. If you don't, if you didn't have one, uh, there should, there's probably an empty seat around you, or you could just raise your hand, and someone will get one to you. Um, I am extremely embarrassed, <laughs> as I'm sure almost all of you have already noticed, that this should say activity, but it says acticity. In my defense, the V and the C are right next to each other on the keyboard. And in this moment, I will give gratitude for, to God for the ways that he humbles a PhD candidate like me. <laughs> if typos really annoy you, you can pretend that it's act in city. How are you acting in the city, okay? So what, what's going to happen in just a minute is uh, the band's going to come up, and I'm going to give you a significant amount of time. Um, I'm going to give you seven, eight minutes, and the band's going to play. And what I want you to do is to fill this out. What I want you to do is think through your average day. Now, average day, I know it varies. Do your best, your average day. Focus on the things that you find yourself doing all the time, those ordinary, mundane activities. There are two sides so if you want to do, you know, maybe there's a big difference between the days you go into the office or the days you work from home, or maybe um, you want to do a weekday and a weekend, whatever you want. I want you to fill out this schedule with your activities, right, your activities, what you do in an average day, and then I want you to think about what would it look like for me to worship in these activities? Uh, how could I give gratitude to God? How could I be good to others? How could I glorify God in these ordinary activities that I participate in? Now, sometimes the, the things you might write, uh, they might be explicitly spiritual things, right? 
It might be I'm going to um, I'm going to pray for my Uber driver as I sit in his or her back seat. It might be I'm going to uh, listen to um, a worship song or I'm going to read a psalm. Um, it might be I'm going to be intentional about saying thank you to God in this situation. Or maybe it's something that's not explicitly spiritual but can still be worship, right? As I walk to the train, I will pause and just take a deep breath and enjoy the fresh air, as fresh as it gets in the city. Uh, maybe it's giving something to someone. I, I, don't, I don't know what it is for you, but what I want you to do is think, of, think really tangibly and concretely about what does it look like for me to worship in my everyday, ordinary activities? Now, I don't expect you to actually do every single one of these things, right, and, and transform every hour of your life, although I would love that. But I hope that some of the things you write down you will do. And I hope that this will be an exercise where you begin to think differently about your day. We live with this division between the things that are worship and the things that aren't. And I want you to break that division down in your mind. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step aside. I'm going to give you a good, a good seven or eight minutes, and then I'll come back up and close this out. Sisters and brothers, we have been called not to be people who worship a few hours a week. We have been called to be people whose lives are constantly lived for the purpose of the glory of God. And since our lives mostly consist of what is ordinary and what is mundane, let's use those chances to live for God's glory. Um, I'm going to give you an assignment, and that is to talk about what you wrote down with someone. Um, Talk about it with friends at lunch. Talk about it with your significant other later today. Talk about it with your hope group. Just talk about it with someone. Um, We're doing this whole series because we want us to think better about what it looks like to follow Jesus the other six days of the week. Um, In our hope groups, we're going to be going uh, through the book Everyday Liturgy by Tish Warren. It kind of inspired this series. Uh, We really encourage you to, to get the book and to read the book and to participate in a hope group as we consider this together. We want Christ to be a part of your life in every moment of it. So let's pray together. Oh, great Lord of the universe. God, we are so thankful that you want to be involved in every moment of our lives. God, we are so thankful that we get to worship you and that we will spend eternity worshiping you and that you give us the opportunities to give you glory in every part of our lives. God, I pray for all of us in this room. May you make us people who are committed to your worship and your glory. May you make us people who are filled with creativity as we think about how do we live for you 
May you help us to be edified by one another and pushed on as we communicate together and as we try to worship you with every moment. God, we know that glorifying you and praising you is the best thing we could do. And I pray that you will give us the desire to do it. I pray that you will give us the discipline to follow through with it. And I pray that you will give us joy as we bring you glory. God, may you break down this mental divide that we have between things that are holy and things that are secular. And may we realize that everything in this earth is yours. And may we use all of it as you want us to for the sake of your great glory. In Jesus' name we pray.